ghost stories online. Call in your real ghost story now at 855-853-4802 or write in at realghoststoriesonline.com. You're about to enter the world of the unknown and quite possibly the undead. This is Real Ghost Stories Online. Today, one listener shares her gift of seeing people from beyond the grave, but you won't believe how she gained this ability. A child has a terrifying nightmare that seems far too real. However, when he wakes up the next morning, he'll question if it was all just a dream. And have you ever experienced an inexplicable feeling of fear? A woman shares her experience of feeling fear as a child, and was the fear really unwarranted? Those stories, your calls, and more today on Real Ghost Stories Online. Tony and Jenny Bruski joining you once again for another episode. Hello. Post-Halloween. Yes. It's, it's uh, well, it's, it's now the traditional most wonderful time of the year for everyone else, but... It is. It's just time to graze on candy for me. I've been good. You've been good? <clears throat> I have been good. I've uh, I've limited myself to eight Snickers per quarter of the day. Okay. So, you know, I think that's pretty good. I haven't, uh, I haven't projectile vomited anywhere, which uh, that used to be just the bar alone right there. Just don't throw up on Halloween. And uh, eventually I got there. It's the little <laughs> miniature Reese's cups. I was going to say the little things that count. <laughs> and the little mini Kit Kats. Those are, mine that, uh, those are my two things that get me every year. What I've noticed is fun size has just gotten really unfun. I mean, fun size was never that fun to begin with. It was just this bullshit thing that they threw at kids going, look, it's fun size. No, I, the fun size is the real size, is the big size. Yeah. You know, this is the bullshit. I don't want to, you know, pay for full candy bar size. But now fun size has even gotten smaller. You know, like the little Kit Kats. It's true. They used to be a couple bars. Now it's just like Yeah. It's, one. Like, it's like it's a fourth of what the fun the, the fun size Kit Kat used to be. Literally, it was like half a Kit Kat. Right. It was just, it was two bars. I was like, okay, you know. And that was decent because it was like, all right, at least the Kit Kat fun size is fairly close to the size of the the whole candy bar. Now it's like half of the fun size and then half of a bar. Right. I don't know why they keep getting smaller and smaller. Is there some like concern for children getting obese or eating too much? <laughs> could it be that or could it be they <laughs> want to just sell more? Uh, I think they're just being cheap. I think I think finances have more to do with it than care of the health of the children quite honestly. But uh, not as fun uh, not as fun as the size. But I suppose you do maybe what you make up in quality of size you get back in quantity. Oh, I'm all about quantity. So, I just eat so many more because I'm like, well, they're just little. They're just little. I think you bars. end up eating more then. Yeah. Because you'll, you'll have one or two and you'll be getting like, oh, I have five because they're so tiny. Right. So, there they go. Uh, 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online with your real ghost story. Of course, you can always write into us through the website, realghoststoriesonline.com. Lots of ways to get in touch with us here on the show. And remember, if you're not an EPP yet and you enjoy the program, please consider supporting the program and uh, allowing us to keep doing the show. You sign up, it's only 5 bucks a month, or you can do the year-long option at $60, and you get a bonus episode every single week, emailed directly 
directly to you, along with the archive of our previous EPP episodes. Get all those as well. And video content, all sorts of good stuff, exclusives for our EPP sign up. Websites, Real Ghost Stories Online. And like I said, get the warm, fuzzy feeling knowing you're keeping this show alive. Anonymous writes in, Hello, Tony and Jenny. I wish to remain nameless. I've known for a ve- from a very early age that I was somewhat gifted. I've had visions, predictions, sightings happen to me from the start. I've predicted every single one of my nieces and nephews. When they were uh, to be born, my mother was very accepting of my gifts, but my dad, not so much. I've listened to some of your podcasts, and from what I've heard, I can relate with quite a few of your listeners. When I was 12, I had kidney failure, and I was rushed to the hospital. The doctors and nurses were baffled as to why my kidney failure was going on. I was not showing any signs of it before that day. I was running a temperature of 106 degrees, and the doctors couldn't do much for me except what they'd already done. My mom and dad were there in the hallway talking to the doctor, and that's what had happened. I died. People that hear my story think I'm bullshitting them, but I promise you, I do not bullshit about something that serious. Anyway, I remember feeling very light, not bound to my body anymore, and I saw a dark tunnel ahead. But imagine, on both sides of this dark tunnel, you'll see full projections of pictures, clips of things to come, names, places, and a wonderful soft white light at the end of the tunnel. I turned around to see myself floating over my actual body. I watched my mom and dad crying really hard over me. The doctor was comforting them the best he could, and he walked out of the room. The next second, I'm turning back to go to the tunnel, and I started going further in, but I was not afraid. I've never really been that afraid of the unknown, unlike most people. The tunnel kept going, which seemed like forever, but I was getting a little closer to the soft white light at the end. Then, I heard the sweetest, softest woman's voice I've ever heard. She had said, Honey, it's not your time to go. You have a lot of things that you're needed for on the other side, our world. And you'll come back to us, but not now. Go home, go back to your body, and live. As she said that, my body felt like lead, being sucked down faster and faster and harder, like I was falling off the tallest mountain. Then, my spirit hit my real body with a thud. I was scared. It scared the shit out of my mom. When my spirit hit my body, I gasped for air and sat straight up in my hospital bed. And she fainted. My mother said that I was truly dead for a total of 12 minutes, and she even showed me the paper from the heart monitor that literally showed, indeed, I was dead for that time, and I came back. Ever since then, I can see dead people ghosts, angels, demons, etc., and have been able to predict every birth and death in my family for over 22 years. I can hear them, and have been given messages to give people from the great beyond. They would say, okay, if you're really able to speak to the dead, then what was one thing that only I and they would know? I freaked her out by telling, uh, uh, by uh, taking a Mountain Dew ring off of the bottle, flipped it inside out, handed it to her and said, You are my star to light my way. She began to scream and cry. I had not met her boyfriend before he died, and she said that was the exact thing he said to her when he proposed to her almost two years before his death. Anyway, 
Thanks for letting me tell you my part of the story. If the listeners don't believe me, I'm not surprised. I wasn't believing it either until I saw the monitor paper showing my heart movement. Love your show. Keep up the great work. I wonder how long is the longest amount of time somebody has been dead on the table and still came back. And was like not a vegetable or or having serious brain damage of some sort. I don't know the answer to that, Um, but I it's like right around that time. I mean, after so many minutes, I mean, the possibility to come back exists Mm -hmm. in most cases, but I believe it's like you're likely going to have deprived your brain of oxygen and a lot of other things where you're not going to be the same person. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, and, and here's the thing when. You hear that story a lot where folks are coming back if they've been out and that suddenly they have the somewhat of, a, of ability to see the other side. Uh-huh. And I've heard the argument where, well, maybe their brain was deprived of oxygen for a little while or a little too long. And now this ability that they seem to think they have, and this is not me saying this, this is just what the argument is sometimes, uh, is that maybe they were deprived of the oxygen too long and now they have these delusions or uh, hallucinations. hallucinations of some sort because of that. But here's the thing. I, I can buy that. And maybe in some cases that is the case. You know, I, I'm, and I don't think all cases are created equal. But here's the thing with, with this, this, this particular person or this particular story. She's actually accurate. Mm-hmm. She's calling out things. And like with the engagement story there, that's not a hallucination or a delusion or, or something where, you know, you chemically had something wrong with your brain because of a result of a lack of oxygen. She's doing stuff right. that really can only be attributed to the other side. So, I don't know. I, I think in more cases than not, it's the other side. Mm-hmm. Now, there's, there's certainly medical issues that, that come into play in this where it's not always paranormal. But yeah, I think in a lot of cases, it is paranormal. I agree. So, 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories online to share your real ghost story with us. Be sure to press subscribe on whatever platform it is you're listening to us on. You may be surprised that there's a show going on today uh, because maybe you subscribed over the Halloween season and found us and thought, isn't this show only during Halloween? No, no, it's a year-round program that we do for you here at Real Ghost Stories Online. Let's go to a caller. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. My name's Wes. I'm a truck driver out of Bowling Green, Ohio. The other day, Jenny was talking about how children are they more prone to uh, seeing spirits and other things. I wanted to share a story uh, from about a year ago. Well, one of my sons, he's five years old, it was a nice summer day, and I got the window open, and he's out back playing by the fence, washing dishes. I hear him talking to somebody, and I assumed it was our neighbor because he was back by the fence pulling some weeds. Well, he came inside and went off and did whatever. And I made my way outside and just kind of struck up conversation with my neighbor. So he's a talkative one, isn't he? Caden? And they said, no, he wasn't talking to me. He was just off talking to this invisible friend or something. And I've always had a big interest in the paranormal, but you know, we all know kids have in- invisible friends. So later that night, I asked him, I said, Caden, who were you talking to outside? He said, an angel. 
no, no, an angel. Does this angel have a name? Says, yeah, same name as me. Says his name was Caden? No, no, my other name. Christopher? Now, the scary thing here, or paranormal, call it what you will, is my son is named after, his middle name is after uh, one of my best friends that I served with when I was in the military. And uh, he passed away in 2005 and took him uh, from Philly back to Sioux City where his family was and, you know, provided military escort. And when we had our first son, I, you know, gave him Chris's name. He was one of my best friends. And when he, when he said this, it just totally, totally floored me, as I'm sure, you know, anybody who put those pieces together after something like that. I want to fast forward now to about a month ago. We're remodeling our basement, and uh, we got a bunch of pictures, you know, photo albums and stuff lying around, and him and uh, one of my twins are looking through pictures, and they come over to me, and Caden says, Dad, I didn't know you were friends with an angel. And I like, said, so what are you talking about? And he's holding up one of my old photo albums uh, from the service. It was a picture of uh, me, my friend Tim and Chris, who passed away, and he points, he says, I've seen him, and he just takes it, closes it, tosses it on the pool table, and walks away, just like that, and, you know, I'll tell you, it made the hairs on the back of my wife's neck stand up, and she is a complete, 100% skeptic at heart, but uh, it's pretty awesome, you know, to believe, I believe, that, you know, maybe he's checking in and seeing how his namesake's doing. That's about what I got. You guys are doing a great show with the show. You know, I love it. Listen to it every day when I'm driving. Keep it up. Thanks. I like that story. I think that's a good one. Yeah, it's uh, one of those where the imaginary friend doesn't turn into uh, the uh, go kill your pets uh, imaginary friend. No. It's a good one. Like like yours. Yeah. Yeah, kind of. <laughs> Kinda, yeah. Did, did you? Did we share that you uh, you put uh, uh, in, in our yard our, our gravestones? No, we didn't share that. I thought that was cool. We yeah. we made little gravestones for the Halloween season, and uh, and and you put your imaginary friend's name on there. I did. I thought that was cool. Yeah. Yeah. Who <laughs> we we think uh, as a past episode anyway. Yes. How, how far back was that? That was oh, several that was months. I'm sure uh, when I first started. Yeah, someone could reference what episode that was, but uh, anyway, interesting, very uh, interesting story that uh, has some interesting correlations there. But um, anyway, eight five five eight five three forty eight zero two is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories online to share your real ghost story with us. Scott writes in, "Hello, Tony and Jenny. Scott from Portland. Uh, I was uh, featured uh, the an EPP uh, broadcast number four." called a few times and decided that you guys might be getting tired of hearing from me, so I decided to send in this story. I have several, and I've shared several already, but I hope uh, that uh, they can help people. I already mentioned in a previous phone call that I had a ghost friend as a child. I don't remember any of the events that occurred with this kid, so I'll compile their stories that my family has shared with me and to send it in sometime. I'm prefacing this tale with this information because it is pertinent. Uh, as was the case throughout my childhood, I woke up late at night sometime between 2 and 3 a.m. It's always between these times that I wake up. 
I was lying in the top bunk of the bunk bed my sister and I shared. I was about seven or eight years old at the time, and this had been happening as long as I could remember. I had just had a particularly bad nightmare, so I decided I wasn't going back to sleep. Across the room, there was a shelf that was about level with my bed, so that lying on my side, I was looking at the contents of the shelf. The shelf was decorative, and on the shelf were all of the stuffed animals and wind-up toys that were either important because they were passed down from my parents or because they were particularly loud and annoying, and my parents didn't want us playing with them at night. There wasn't anything too impressive, a stuffed elephant, a couple of dolls that had been my mom's, a jack-in-the-box that had been my dad's, etc., One of the items on the shelf was a clown that had a wind-up box inside of it, and when wound, the head would turn and that iconic circus song would play. I know most people have a fear of clowns, but at that time, I didn't. In fact, the toy was actually one of our favorites, mostly because it was lightweight and played the song that reminded us of fairs, carnival games, popcorn, etc. Normally, the dolls and animals were just looking blindly in different directions. None of them even remotely looked at me. If I were to follow their gaze, I had just been to, I just begun to relax and was telling myself jokes in my bed when I rolled rolled over thinking that maybe I could get some sleep. That's when I realized that the clown was looking right at me. In fact, he was sitting up and looking right at me, which was very weird since he was top heavy and would fall over if you weren't holding him. But there he was sitting up and his eyes were staring at me. I nearly jumped out of my skin but couldn't move. I didn't know what to do. First off, I had already had more than enough experiences in my life at that point to know there was definitely something supernatural occurring even if I didn't have the knowledge of or vocabulary to explain it. Secondly, I was certain there was a reason this clown was looking at me. Thirdly, I figured I could probably get down off the bunk bed and make it into the hallway without coming anywhere near the clown or where he might land if he were to chase me. But I couldn't be certain that he wouldn't chase me into the hall. If I left the room, that would give this clown all the power he needed to go after my little sister, and there was no way I was going to let that happen. My family as a whole is not particularly religious or spiritual. All of the spiritual powers of my family, excluding myself combined, would probably only half fill an 8-ounce glass. So I had no religious or spiritual ideas to fall back on at the time. I just sat there, terrified, holding my stare off with the clown, feeling the fear in my chest pressing on my lungs and heart. I was scared and cornered. Then I remembered the little kid that was supposed to be my friend. For all I knew, he was the one behind the clown, but when you don't have a whole lot of options, you go with what you can. I tried to speak, but couldn't get the words out the first time, and it was just a whisper of air. I started to build the courage to speak when the situation changed. The clown started moving. He didn't climb off the shelf or stand up or anything. He just started playing the music like he did whenever someone would wind him up. It was slow, like it was the end of a wind-up energy, clinking out each note after the other had completely finished. Not a flurry of sound like normal. The head started to rotate with the sound, just like it would normally do, but at the slow pace along with the music. Needless to say, I was even more scared, and I'm sure if I had anything waiting in my bladder, I would have released it. Instead... I just started shaking and crying. I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that the clown wanted me. 
I screamed at that point, probably the loudest scream of my entire childhood, and I got no response. My sister didn't wake up. My parents didn't come in. I tried again, and still nothing happened. The clown was just rotating and clinking out his song. So finally I shouted, If anyone is listening, if anyone is there, please help me. I shouted this a couple times, probably three, but I don't remember exactly, and suddenly the clown stopped. Well, it didn't just stop moving or stop playing the music. It fell over on its side, lying as it always did, because it was top-heavy. I stopped screaming and stared at the clown shaking. I did not want to move. I didn't want to get up. I didn't want to do anything until the sun came up and everyone else was awake, so I just laid there watching the clown. At some point, I must have fallen asleep again because I suddenly woke up. The sun was coming through the window to the room. My sister was asleep, but the clown was gone. If it had been a dream, the clown would have been lying there in the morning where it had always been, but it wasn't there. It was completely gone. I was struck again with the fear that it was in the room, but I was surprised out of my bed with, but I was spurred out of my bed with the fear that it had gone after my sister when I fell asleep. I jumped from the bunk, skipping the ladder and dropped onto the floor. I looked around quickly, trying to find signs of the clown, but there was nothing. I went over to my sister and found her asleep, breathing normally. I checked her in the blankets and got a protesting sound from her to go away. I searched under the bed, in the closet, but nothing. The clown was completely gone. I relaxed and heard the sounds of my mom in the kitchen making breakfast, so I decided that maybe I was safe and free. I slowly left my room and headed down the hall, happy because I thought the clown was completely out of my life, and that was that. I stopped at the end of the hall. At the entrance into the rest, I saw the clown lying on the dining room table. I was stuck in my spot, the flash of terror flowing through me, but I noticed that his head and his body were separated, like he'd been torn in half. I waited a moment, wondering if he'd still move or if something else would happen, but my mom spoke first. She came out of the kitchen and asked me why I had broken the clown. I couldn't speak, so I shook my head, but she asked me again. Don't lie, she said. I heard you come out of your room last night. And when I got up this morning, this was on the table. I was shaking. I most certainly had not left the room that night, and I most certainly did not go anywhere near the clown. I tried to tell her that, but got in trouble for lying. Actually, I got grounded for lying because my dad confirmed that he had heard me come out of the room as well. My parents threw the clown away that morning before my sister could wake up and be upset about it, and I took the week of no video games as punishment. I never told my mom or sister what happened, and I once tried to tell my dad, he being the most spiritual of my family members, but he had a hard time believing me. It seems my parents are more easily convinced that I somehow managed to climb six feet up a wall, pull down the clown, tear his head off, and then left him on the dining room table that way, so, or something else did, so... To this day, I don't know what made the clown start moving, what stopped the clown from moving, or what was going on that night, but I feel fairly certain that whatever stopped the clown is the same thing that carried it out of my room sometime after I fell asleep. I think it was his ghost friend. 
that did it. He had written in a story previously about having a ghost friend as a child. Okay. And I think maybe he took the clown out. So that was a reference to the ghost friend. I, I, I assumed that that was the case. Uh-huh. I just, I wasn't connecting the dots. So there was a case where he had a ghost, like imaginary friend that he right. talked to him. Okay. I could see that being the case. It's kind of a protective figure. Especially since that scared him so much. I could see the sure. ghost friend being like, nope, this ain't happening. Sure. I mean, and not necessarily that the, the, the clown is probably simply the conduit for whatever dark force was going on there. Mm-hmm. It was like, oh, I can use this to freak the hell out of this child and get his attention and engage with him. And then the ghost friend stepping up and doing the good deed of destroying the clown. <laughs> yes. That's interesting. I mean... It's it's interesting to, especially at the end where he pointed it out there, that his parents were more apt to believe that he climbed up six feet onto the wall to get the clown down and then carry it out and rip it in half and leave it on the dining room table. Right. I mean, logically, you got to think, if, if you're a kid and you accidentally broke something, number one, that you couldn't be in, in reach of, I think the first thing to do would be hide it. Oh, yeah. Not go put it out in plain sight. That's what, you know, as a parent, wouldn't make a whole lot of sense to me. But again, you're hearing the sound of the kids going through the house. You, of course, would think it's your kids going through the house before you would think, oh, a ghost sure, is going through your house. I don't know. I mean, would would you buy it if if, you know, one of our kids did something similar to this and still had the excuse of... I didn't do it. Yeah, probably. But honestly, we kind of have a different paradigm that we parent with because, you know, this is what we do. Sure. So, you know, we're so open to that. But if you're, you know, a parent that you maybe believe in ghosts, maybe not. Mm -hmm. Believing that something paranormal destroyed a toy in the middle of the night. That's not going to be your first thought. Well, I mean, I think I would have a hard time believing it until I looked at the evidence. Uh-huh. I mean, if, if it was something that was in... Here's the thing. If it was something that was in reach of one of the girls that could have been broken and then set somewhere, I'd really have a hard time believing them. Yeah. That it was something else. But if it was something that could I could say, there's no way in hell she got that down, then I would be more apt to go on the parent. But that, that's, I think, the deciding factor. Well, and if it's not like the child to normally break things, sure. you may even have to wait a while to see if they continue a pattern of breaking things yeah. or if that was just an isolated incident. Because if that's not in their normal behavior, chances are they they might not have done that yeah. or not intentionally. Sure, sure. It'd be a very interesting situation to be in as a parent if the paranormal comes up as the reason behind something like that and how to handle that. I hope we never have to be. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go to the caller at 855-853-4802. Hi. Hey, uh, Jenny and Tony Brisky. Uh, my name's Caesar, calling from California. Uh, I've been listening to your show since the beginning, but recently to the school... I didn't behind on some of your shows, and then I heard Jenny talk about that uh, urban legend about the whole kid and the with the dog, and you know, usually like making a scene when he felt something lick his hand, and when he checked, there was a the dog was on his bed. Well, to be like really short, there's an update on that. There's actually two um, urban legends about that. One is about a girl that is asleep and she's by herself but she has her dog with her and her dog always sleeps on the floor so she's used to always every night 
you know, just to make sure she's safe, puts her hand her hand down, you know, and like going towards the bottom of the bed, and the dog licks it, she goes to sleep, you know, she feels fine. And uh, there's been some things going on, and then one day she does it again, and uh, she reaches, and she feels something like, you know, her hand. So she feels safe, so she goes to sleep. She wakes up because she feels like drops on her head, and she notices that it's blood, and the dog is was killed. And uh, on the wall, it says, humans kill like two, and that's kind of like what the base of that urban legend is about. There's also the one with the with the boy, and there's no like there's not too much on that one, but there was two of them that I heard about. But that wasn't the only reason I was calling. I was also calling because I have a little quick story about my dad. He passed away a couple of years ago, but before he did, he used to always tell me, if you tell a girl that you love her, don't tell her you love her forever, because of a certain story that happened to him. Um, two well, instances. Um, he would tell me how he had a girlfriend before he met my mother, you know, when he was younger. He came to the United States, and uh, she ended up staying back in Mexico. And uh, while being in Mexico, she ended up passing away. Um, and they used to talk to each other and say, oh, you know, I'll be with you forever. I'll be with you forever. I'll love you forever. You know, if I, if I end up dying, I'll wait for you. And if you end up dying, I'll wait for you. It was kind of like that whole romantic thing that people would do. Well, people still do, but that was what he was talking about. And uh, one time he was in the shower after, you know, like maybe like a week or two after she passed away. He was in the shower and he saw a silhouette of somebody in the shower with him when he didn't hear the door open or anything. So he proceeded to open the curtain a little bit and he said that he saw her there. It was, I don't know if it was apparition or if it was smoking, it looked like her. He just told me that she was right there. And she said, I'm here for you. Let's go. Uh, I'm taking you with me. And he said, wait, what's going on? How, why, why are you taking me with you? Like he was, he didn't understand what was going on. And she said, you told me that you love me forever and you'll never let me go and stuff like that. And so I'm here to take you with me. And he got really scared. And as soon as he did that, he started throwing water from the shower towards what he saw was her to go, go you know, get out of here. Get, you know, I was, it's not like that. Your dad, you passed away, go away. And she vanished. And the second story was that it was pretty much the same thing, but he was at night watering his little, like, you know, he lived in like a little small house and he was watering his lawn. And while watering his lawn, he, out of the corner of his eye, he saw her again. So he didn't think about anything. He just kept watering his lawn and she appeared to come walking towards him and tell him, I'm here for you again. This time you're not gonna get away. You said you'll love me forever and I'll keep you to your word. And he said, well, I understand that we said that because we were in love, but 
you passed away, you have to move on, you can't stay with me, I, I can't go with you, I'm still alive. And she said, oh, well, I don't care. Well, you know, since that whole incident in the shower, he just got the water hose and started spreading it with water. So he was like, I mean, after a while now, well, when he told me, he thought it was funny because he's like, I don't know if it, what, what it's about, but it's like maybe water means life. And today when I, you know, threw water at her, then maybe she, you know, just disappeared, but he didn't understand it and he just, he knew he wasn't dreaming, you know, it was like during the daytime, you know, at nighttime, but not like too late. It was just like during his regular life. So after that, he used to always tell me, never tell a girl that you love her forever because that might end up happening to you. He was joking about it, but like he's, he was dead serious when he told me about those stories. He, you know, those are two little stories that I thought were pretty like, cool in a way but kind of creepy at the same time um i don't know what it is with that water thing it might have been the whole you know it's because it means life water is life but at the same time water is also a conduit so i don't know i was trying to see if you guys can give me some opinions on what you guys think about that all right thank you guys and uh party on guys so that was something that he said happened to his dad is that right yeah Here's my thoughts on it. I think his dad was probably taking the uh, the thing a little bit too literal, you know, of, uh, you know, don't fall in love with a girl, uh, you know, and say that to her. Uh, I think he was, I think the dad was looking at this as, that was really the girl coming back. Okay. I don't think it was the girl coming back. You think it was something else? I think it was something else, using the image of the girl to try and seduce his dad in. Um, to whatever it is that it was. And yes, I'm saying it's something dark, as I do most things. Um, and I, I think it was one of those where it had knowledge that this may be a possibility to lure it in, or lure him in, and that's what he was using. I, I, I don't think it was the girl, if indeed this story happened. I mean, it, it does sound like an urban legend as well. It does. You know, he was yeah. talking about urban legends at the first part of the call, but this truly sounds like an urban legend as well. And it may very well be, but he said it was a story that his dad told him. So it could be an urban legend that the dad was telling and it, he said happened to him, but maybe an urban legend that the dad had heard as well. And he was trying to scare him away from girls or trying to teach him a lesson about girls. But regardless, it's a spooky story. It sure is. And the dog story, any version of that is still yeah. horrible. Yeah. <laughs> what episode that was a, that wasn't that far back was it no it wasn't that far back and I think I saw something like that I th- I think it was on that Beyond Belief show that we used to like as kids oh years ago yeah yeah it's funny how they these things you know they all they kind of they come back with slight variations mm-hmm. in the future so 855-853-4802 that's our number Candice writes in hi guys love the show makes a boring day at work go quicker listening to the show my story isn't the usual ghost story but more about energy when I was 12 years of age I was very sensitive to uh, picking up the energy in the room 
The only way I can describe the sensation of picking up uh, an energy is feeling a heaviness in my left ear with a slight goosebump feeling with a tightness in my throat. Whenever I got that uh, warning sensation, as I called it, I knew something was about to happen. Usually when I got the warning, my mother was about to pull in the driveway or someone about to call. Or I was in my room with the door closed, listening to music as someone is about to enter the room without knocking, usually my younger sister. I never got a feeling something bad was going to happen. Just a warning, something was about to happen. Until one night, one night around 8 p.m., it was pitch black outside. My mother, sister, and I were sitting in the lounge room waiting, watching television. I was sitting close to the front door about two meters away, and I got the warning. The heaviness in my left ear and my throat feeling very tight. I received a feeling I'll never forget my entire life, a very strong urge to hide. Something was telling me to hide from my life, as though I was about to be put in an immediate danger. I couldn't speak, and the only thing I could do with a look of sheer terror on my face was wedge myself between the wall and the bookshelf and hide. Of course, my mother and sister were very confused, more so in shock as to what I was doing, and could only sit there quietly in the dark with the television light shining on their faces. With eyes slightly wide and a frown, I put my finger up to my mouth indicating to be quiet. At that moment, there was a knock at the door, their eyes widened further in fear. I shook my head in disbelief that I was right. Something was about to happen. As much as I wished the warning might be false this time, it was true. After the knock at the front door, I was still wedged hiding. My mother turned down the television volume and asked me, Who is that? in a concerned yet afraid tone. She proceeded to walk to the door and quietly unlock and open it inward slowly. I got the courage enough to hide behind my mother. While she stood at the front door, my younger sister raced behind me. The front area was pitch black and we couldn't see a thing. My mother said through the screen door, Hello, and no one was at the front door. I quickly turned the front light on. My mother opened the screen door and tried to see further. I peered around her body down the driveway to see a dark figure stop walking and turn around and walk back towards the front door. I could only see a small orange light. This figure was taking a puff from a cigarette. The figure walked into the light and revealed his identity. My mother asked him again, Yes? The person knocking at the door was a neighbor across the road informing my mother she had not closed her car door properly and the interior light was left on. I was somewhat relieved it wasn't a complete stranger, but I remained very cautious as to my as to my warning was very strong. He looked at my sister and I and turned around and left. A month or two later, that man and his family of two small girls under 10 years of age and the son about 14 years of age left the street never to be seen again. Unfortunately, it was rumored the man who I was warned about by the energy I picked up was convicted of pedophilia. I believe the energy I picked up was from my guardians sending me a warning to hide from that man. Thank you for taking the time to read my story. Sometimes you just know things. Oh, yeah. I completely agree. I completely agree, especially like the snorkeling man who gives out large candy bars in our neighborhood. <laughs> yes, the snorkeling man with the candy bars. You're right. Yeah, and I'm not going to say where he lives or anything, but there's a man in our neighborhood, and 
We've looked this up because you can look this stuff up online, you know, on the, the predator search list and everything. So it tells us he's not a convicted predator. Convicted or caught. Yeah. So yeah. his behavior, though, is very questionable. Yeah. And we live in a nice neighborhood. And this guy, he's he just goes. There's a there's a pool, a neighborhood pool. Mm-hmm. He goes there in the summer and he snorkels. This is, this is not like a big Olympic size. This is a small community pool. This pool could easily... It's about the size of somebody's backyard pool. It really is. And it's full of little kids, boys and girls. Yeah. And it's mainly little kids. Yeah. And he's snorkeling. By himself. Yeah. It's not like he's there with a kid playing with a snorkel and, you know, messing around. No. He's there by himself snorkeling in the pool. Yeah. And you can't really say anything to him because he's not technically doing anything inappropriate. He's not like touching the kids or bumping into the kids. He's just, he's snorkeling, which is pretty messed up. And he's also the only house in the neighborhood that gives out the full-size candy bars on Halloween. Yep. Coincidence? Anyone else feel anything weird about this guy? And his house is right next to the playground. Yeah. This guy's not just one of those really nice, jolly, older guys. This guy is creepy to begin with. Uh, Not... Not to profile or anything. Oh, okay, I am profiling and judging at the same time, which I think we need to do more of. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm judging and I'm profiling. He just has, I mean, you see him walking around. He just, even if you didn't know those things about him, if you were to compare him, I'd say maybe to mugshots of sexual predators. If you were to think of your average looking, you know, Creepy, kind of disheveled looking. He looks like he's going to pull up in a van with a puppy. He does. That's what he looks like. He is your atypical looking predator. And that's what he does. So, I don't know. I'm not saying he is one for sure. But... We've lived in this neighborhood long enough. No interaction with him has changed my opinion of him. Yeah. I would have to guess there's something not quite right going on there. Yeah. So... You got, I mean, <laughs> I mean that, now that's with us seeing him and having to somewhat interact. Very different than the sense that this woman had of the person she did not know or see coming to the door. Right. But sometimes you just know. <laughs> I, I, I wonder what the feeling would be if he were to come up to our door. Well, when he comes over and gets in the pool and we're over there, <laughs> I get the girls out. Oh, yeah. We're I, done. I Swimming time's too. over. Yeah. <laughs> it's just creepy. Anyhow... Uh, 855-853-4802 is a phone number to call into Real Ghost Stories Online. Hi. Hi, Tony and Jenny. Uh, my name is Anthony, and I recently started listening to your show uh, just to sort of get in the mood for Halloween. I don't necessarily know that I believe uh, in the supernatural, but I've always enjoyed a, sort of a good scare this time of year. Uh, I have a couple of uh, sort of first-hand stories I'd like to share with you. Uh, uh, I'll start. I was born in uh, the rural west of Ireland, and I moved to the United States when I was young with my parents. And uh, I used to go back in the summers to visit my grandmother. And my, my in the house that my grandfather built uh, in the 1920s, and it's a farmhouse, sort of out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, I remember one night, I was asleep in the bedroom upstairs, 
and uh, I heard sort of a clamor coming from downstairs from the uh, sort of the family room, the, the sitting room, we called it. And I went downstairs in the dark to see what was going on. I thought, you know, I didn't, I didn't know why people were up in the middle of the night, so I thought I'd check it out. And I could hear sort of murmuring like voices, but not quite distinctly being able to, to hear what was being said. And I remember the, uh, the sort of clanging and clatter of uh, what sounded like silverware on dishes and plates as if people were having a meal. And then I opened the door into the, into the sitting room and uh, there was complete darkness, nobody in there, just complete absolute silence. And all the noises I had been hearing just completely stopped. And uh, I had asked my aunt about it uh, the next day. And she looked at me like I was insane and, and pretty much told me never to talk about it again. I didn't know what that was all about. Uh, incidentally, a few years later, I had, I had asked my father or asked my mother um, about her father who had died when my mother was about 18 or 17. And... Uh, I knew I knew that uh, he had died when she was fairly young, uh, but I didn't know that he actually died at the dinner table while the family was having a meal. He had a massive heart attack and slumped over and sort of fell into the table while they were all eating. Um, and I thought that was a bit unnerving considering uh, the noises I'd been hearing or I had heard that, that one evening. Um, the other uh, story related to that is that... Uh, my mother claims that on the afternoon, uh, the same day that her father died, she had been upstairs caring for her uh, baby twin brother and sister when she heard uh, sort of an unearthly wailing, she says, just, uh, just a terrible noise that she almost could bear to listen to. And uh, like a, uh, she described it like a, almost like a ghostly crying or wailing. And, uh, my mother, who's a bit superstitious, uh, she swears that this was the the banshee who was um, foretelling the impending death of her own father, which she didn't know at the time, but happened a few hours later. Um, you know, of course, <laughs> don't know how true all that is, but I just thought I'd like to share that with you. That's that's the only uh, somewhat supernatural experience that I've had. I do enjoy the show, and thank you very much for putting it on. It's very entertaining, and I hope you have a good Halloween. Thanks very much. Bye. Thanks for calling in and uh, sharing your story with us. It's always interesting when you have the kind of you know one-off stories told from one generation to the next or told by a mother or a father, and uh, kind of like the call we had previous to this, too, where it's like the father said this story. Creepy stories, but again, you, you kind of it makes it more hard to legitimize. It does. You know, you just got to kind of take them at their word and for, you know, for what they're worth, I guess, if you will, you know, just uh, enjoy the spookiness of them. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. 855 is our number. Hi. Hello, dear ghost people. I just watched Spirits in the Air and I loved it. What a professional job. What a neat story. Um, just absolutely wonderful. I'm so proud of you guys. This is this is basically just for you. I could throw a ghost story in here, but you know, I I just wanted to call and congratulate you. And I don't know why, but I'm absolutely just tingling with pride for you guys. I think this is absolutely fabulous, and you guys look so happy. 
And um, I'm glad I could be just a teeny, tiny, tiny little part of this whole thing. And I'm just so glad to be part of the, the Para family. And I'm just, uh, I hope this is the first of many because you guys really have a knack for that. And I think you were fair. I think you were concise. I think, uh, look at Jenny going with all of her. You felt it, didn't you, girl? I know. I know. And this is what I'm talking about. The I did it written in the paint, and this is what I meant when I was saying, you don't know. I did what? You know, is he proud of it? Is he just saying it like Tony said to get off his chest? Um, just, you know, that's what I meant, you know, um, where it takes a family. You could go in there with, you know, 10 people and spend the night and, and get just a piece of it. Of course, you'd only get a piece of the ones that would want you to get a little bit. You know, they have to be... Um, willing, you know. So uh, that's what makes this uh, subject so amazing and so multi-layered, you know. Um, but just a fabulous job. I just had to call and tell you that I'm so proud of you and many, many more. And uh, I'm going to try to call and give you another ghost story before Halloween, but uh, um, I'm giving everybody else a shot to get in there because I know you've got so many calls now and it's just blowing off the charts, and I think that's fabulous. So I'm right there with you guys every single day. Thank you for uh, calling in and uh, the kind words there, Cisco, about the uh, the Spirits in the Air film. And we've been talking about uh, more ideas for more places and, and things of that nature. Yeah, we're scouting out. We want to know, um, you know, I, we're willing to travel, aren't we? No, I'm not going to leave my home ever again, actually. I'm just going to... Okay, so we're willing to travel. I'll just throw that out there. We just kind of want to know where you guys think we should go with this. Yeah, it's it's got to be worth it. It's got to be a good one. Yeah. You know, and, and something uh, that, that could be very, very interesting. So if you have some suggestions or ideas of where we could do another video project or film project, uh, feel free to uh, throw that out there. I saw some folks have thrown some suggestions out there Um on our message board already and I don't have it up readily in front of me. You know where I want to go next? Where? The Pirate House in Savannah. The Pirate House. In Savannah. Oh, is that the one where the Captain Morgan? No, this was one we just had a story not, you know, but a couple days ago. Remember the guy was closing up and ah, they saw him on the video camera. He was talking to the table because there was somebody there when he was talking. Mm-hmm. But when he went back and saw the camera footage, there was nobody there but the table. Mm-hmm. That I, would be very, very interesting to go check that one out. I think we'd have good luck in Savannah just because of all its history. But I think that would be kind of fun. I have a suggestion here for the Topeka State Hospital. Okay. Publicly funded institution for uh, the care and treatment of the mentally ill in Topeka, Kansas. It was an operation from 1872 to 1997. Uh, haven't had much time to research it in depth, but there you go. It's, uh, it's a shutdown, closed down state hospital. Um, be interesting. That would be. Anytime you have those, it'd be interesting. I, wonder, I, I, I should look at more, more into that one to see if there's any... You know, documented haunting stories on it. But anyway, your ideas, your suggestions, feel free to throw them out there on the website uh, on the message board at realghoststoriesonline.com. Hi. Hi, my name is Beth. I'm from Minnesota. And about or 12 or so years ago, I went to Kansas City. And I stayed at the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City. And everything went just fine. And when I was going to go check out, I looked 
over, I got out of my room, looked over, and down the hall was a woman who was all dressed up, you know, dressed up to the nines, but she had on kind of old-fashioned clothing, maybe, you know, 70s, 80s clothes, and I thought, what is she doing here, just kind of walking down? She was just kind of walking down the hall, but she didn't even seem like she was really walking. So I looked again. I don't exactly know how to describe that. And all of a sudden, she was gone. And I thought, weird. Um, so, that you know, she just disappeared. So then I went down, and I was checking out, and I said, oh, by the way, I saw a funny thing upstairs. I looked over, and there was a woman, and she all of a sudden disappeared. She was dressed up really, really well, and then... Poof, she was gone. And the hotel guests or um, employees looked at me. There were a couple of them, and they looked at me very odd, oddly. And I thought, okay, they think I've been um, partaking in a little too much alcohol or something. <laughs> and so I thought, maybe, but, you know, something was wrong with me. But I knew she was there. So then I didn't really think too much of it, but then I was watching a documentary. Of, it was probably maybe even a couple of years later where they had talked about engineering disasters. And I found out that, and I looked it up just now, on July 17, 1981, the Hyatt Regency in Kansas City, they were having a dance and a walkway collapsed and killed a bunch of people. And I thought... I bet she was from the dance. So anyway, that's my story. Nothing too wild and crazy, but I am sure I saw a woman from the dance who was killed at the Hyatt in Kansas City on July 17th, 1981. Thank you. There you go. I told you. It's a creepy place. Actually, 114 people were killed and uh, 216 injured and was the worst structural disaster at that time in history prior to 9-11. Yes. So, yeah, pretty big deal at the time. And uh, we had talked about this on the show a while back because we've been there. Um, In fact, we have a picture of that walkway or where the walkway was um, and just loaded with orbs. It's weird because it never, it, it looks like walkways where it looks like something's missing. It just really looks yeah. like they never finished it properly after the accident mm-hmm. to where you wouldn't even notice. And it was, it was so horrific because not only was it just a walkway that collapsed, it was like a third floor walkway that collapsed onto a second floor that then collapsed to the floor. So people were literally pancaked yeah. I and mean, just just a horrific scene volunteers from all over the state had to go to help with the recovery effort mm-hmm. it was just a horrible horrible deal and that's and that's what's so hot about this place is when you go there and you look you can see exactly where this was i mean yes it's all cleaned up the accident was you know nearly you know 40 years ago at this point um or 30 years ago um but uh the thing is the walkways are still one of the walkways is still there. They rebuilt one of them, obviously much more securely. Um, but like like Jenny said, you can tell where there was supposed to be another walkway, yeah. or where there was one at one time. It's not like in other tragedies or disasters where you know you hear of you know a room where something horrible happened and they simply fill over the door 
you know, or, you know, literally put a wall up over the door. Door's gone. That room's not accessible anymore. Yeah. It's just there. It's like, okay, there's an opening right there. It looks like there should be a walkway, but it looks like there's some sort of kind of semi-temporary railing that's been put up to, uh, I mean, it looks like they're about to build a new walkway. It does. But they're not. I mean, it's just, that's what they put there and that's what remains there and has been there for so long. So it's a very unsettling, odd place to be um you know i get you know you're not going to shut down the whole hotel and you know tear it down or anything like that because it's a very nice hotel but um but they really didn't make any efforts to hide where this happened you know because you can go places and you know stuff happened and you're like well unless there was a marker you really wouldn't know something happened here you can tell exactly where that happened where all those people died yeah it's it's very very bizarre. If you ever get a chance to go to Kansas City and, and you want to go see something kind of odd and get some odd, odd vibes, do you feel anything weird there? Yeah, I always yeah. do. That's why I don't stay there. Uh, we were going to stay there. It's a nice hotel. I had made a, a promise to you that we would stay there, but it just didn't work out. It didn't. We actually were, they were booked up the night that I tried to get us a room there. Yep. Unfortunately. <laughs> So it's a very nice hotel with a very nice restaurant in it. But Actually, the restaurant's gone now. Oh, the restaurant's gone there now. There was a rotating restaurant on the roof. That's right. It is gone now. And uh, last time I, I checked into that, they're like, oh, nope, it's a lounge, and they serve crackers. Do you remember last time we went there, though, there was a waiter, and we asked him mm-hmm. at the hotel if anything weird happened in the hotel, yeah. and he didn't even have a clue that that had been the site of any kind of disaster at all. Sure. So actually, it's kind of funny because to the the point of, of our caller where she said that uh, she got looked at rather strangely by the staff. Uh, I'm wondering if they didn't know what the hell they were, she was even talking about. You know, it's like, what lady? What? You, you know, maybe they, it wasn't because they, you know, they thought there was something paranormal and they heard this story 20 times over. It was because they were completely ignorant to the fact of what actually happened in that hotel. Right. So, I don't know. I mean, uh, interesting, uh, interesting place to uh, to go and check out. Uh, the phone number here is 855-853-4802. If you'd like to share a real ghost story with us, we would love to hear it. Of course, please become an EPP, support the show, keep the show alive and going into the new year. You uh, can sign up for that at the website at realghoststoriesonline.com. Come. So until next time, for Jenny Bruski, I'm Tony Bruski. Thanks for listening to another episode of Real Ghost Stories Online. <laughs>